Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you are doing well. Uh, December has started and Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> Some of you are like, do I have to be excited? <laughs> I'm still busy doing the year and things are happening for us. We just had some major plumbing issues. Life still happens when it's December, right? And then you still gotta make the house look nice and still gotta have all the parties and all the stuff. But here's the thing, Christmas is coming. It is coming. And if you kind of zoom out from where we're headed and zoom out from what's happening in our lives a little bit, you begin to realize and remember that Christmas is actually such a, a significant day in the history of our world, whether you're a Christian or not, Christmas is the day that literally changed the world, divided the calendar in two from BC, before Christ, to AD, Anna Domini, the Latin phrase, the year of our Lord. And whether you're a Christian or not, I mean, that happened. And Christians believe that every single year from that time, as we look back, we go, this is the year the Lord entered into our world. So I'm really excited as we dive into December and start moving towards Christmas because Christmas is coming. And we're gonna start off a Christmas series today. And I'm really excited to look and looking forward to that and what we're gonna be speaking about. Now, here's the deal. When you think about a Christmas series, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you could do. There's a whole bunch of directions you could go. I mean, the Christmas story is an awesome story and we can tell the Christmas story and look at all that stuff. But what we decided to do this, this year as we kind of prepare our hearts for that day that remembers that incredible event where God entered our world um, is something that I actually heard someone else do and it inspired me and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool thing to do. We're gonna do a series called The Messiah is Coming. The Messiah is coming. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of go back to what people said before Jesus came. And look, as we are headed towards Christmas and going, okay, Christmas is coming, what did these people before Jesus came say about this Messiah that was coming? Let me see if I can explain what I mean and where we're headed over the next few weeks in this series, The Messiah is Coming. The Old Testament, which if you're a Christian, is the first part of our, you know, the Bible. It's the first part of, of this book that we feel describes our understanding of God. But even if you're not a Christian, the, the Old Testament is a book that contains the Hebrew scriptures that have been around for thousands of years, and they uh, describe the origins of Judaism and also claim to describe how God interacted with humanity in the ancient world. So that's, and that's been around for thousands of years. I mean, that's just there, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe it or not, that book has been around for thousands of years. And the reason I bring up the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures into the context of a uh, Christmas series is, is because of this. From the very first writings of the Old Testament, which are written probably around 1500 B.C., to the final writings that are included in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which were written probably around 400 B.C., from, from all of those things, there's this massive theme that runs through all of them. And the theme is this idea that there is a king who is coming. There is a redeemer who is coming. There is a savior, a shepherd. And all throughout the Jewish writings, there's this idea that a ruler, a savior, a shepherd, a redeemer is coming. And he will come at some point. And the, all of those ideas are kind of summed up in this one title, the Messiah. The Messiah is 
coming. And he is the one, when he comes, he will put the world right. He will heal the brokenhearted. He will bring beauty out of ashes. And he will make things as they should be. So for thousands of years, in a document that we have, and that's included in the Bible now, but it's a document that, that goes far beyond the Christian Bible, is this theme throughout the Hebrew Scriptures of this Messiah that's coming. And the reason that we have actually, as Christians, included the Hebrew Scriptures in our Bible as a part of the first part of the Bible is because Christians believe that that Messiah that is prophesied and talked about for hundreds and thousands of years in this Hebrew Scripture was born on Christmas Day, the very first Christmas, that he was born and his name is Jesus. The, the word Christ, Jesus Christ, is actually a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means Messiah. So Jesus Christ actually means Jesus the Messiah. And Christians believe that all this writing, all this prophesying, all this scripture about this coming Messiah, this Messiah who would come and redeem and save and be all these things that has been spoken about is Jesus, and Christians believe that. So, so here's, here's what we thought. If this ancient document describes this beautiful stuff, hundreds of years describes this Messiah, and Jesus was born as that coming Messiah, and Christians claim that he is that Messiah, um, and he fulfilled all those prophecies, we thought that it would be really cool as we head towards Christmas this year, as Christmas is coming, we go back and look at all those things that these people, before the Messiah came, as they were writing and longing and hoping and expecting someone, some ruler, some king, some shepherd, some hope, some savior to come, as they looked forward to that, they wrote some stuff down. And we thought it'd be really cool to see what they wrote and see what they, how they describe this coming Messiah, because I really do believe as you read these things, it will expand and explain some of who Jesus is, and the reality that this stuff was written so long before Jesus, I think is just incredible. <laughs> when you see the stuff written down, and we're gonna look at some of it today and over the next few weeks, when you see the stuff written down and you see who Jesus was, and what he did, and you realize, oh my gosh, that lines up. It's actually Pretty incredible. So that's how we thought we'd kind of head towards Christmas this year. The Messiah is coming, and let's see what these old ancient scriptures talk about when they talk about this Messiah. That's where we're headed for the next few weeks. Now, before we kind of jump into some of those scriptures, I do think I need to clarify what the word Messiah actually means. And there's a general meaning, and then there's a very specific meaning. And both of these words were used in the Old Testament. It kind of moved from the general idea of it all the way to the specific idea as the writings were being written and as we get into the New Testament. But the word Messiah, simply means anointed one. Now, that doesn't help much because we don't really use the word anointed in our normal everyday life when you go to McDonald's and work and, you know, Thanksgiving. Hey, anointed, what does that mean? Anointed pretty much just means this, when someone pours oil over someone else. That's probably why we don't use the word because we don't typically pour oil on our friends. It's just a little weird, I guess. But anointing someone was basically when, when someone got consecrated into or set into a position of authority, that was the, 
the, the, the thing they did. Like when a president gets inaugurated, there's all this fanfare, there's all these things that have to be said and done. That's the weird culture we live in. We've got our weirdness when someone is inaugurated into an office, they have to do certain things. Back in the ancient world, they poured oil on their head to consecrate them to an office. The Erdman's Dictionary is a Bible dictionary. It describes it like this. In its basic sense, the term Messiah refers to a person who has been consecrated to a high office of ceremon- by, by ceremonial anointing with oil. In the ancient world, priests and kings were so anointed. The anointing to an office gave a person high and sacred status and assured authority, reverence, and respect. So that's the general sense, that when someone is put in a position of authority on an office, they're anointed with oil. Then, then you get to the specific meaning, the Messiah, this expected person, king, ruler, redeemer, savior. And the Bible Dictionary, New Bible Dictionary adds this. It says, this word, the Messiah, when it's used as the official title of the central figure of expectation. It is used as this this person that the Hebrew nation was expecting to come and make things right. When it's used as the central, uh, uh, the official title of the central figure of expectation, is in the main, it's a product of later Judaism. Its use is, of course, validated by the New Testament, but the term, in that sense, as this primary title, the specific title, is only found twice in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter nine, verse 25. And we're gonna come back to that at the end of today's message and look at what Daniel actually said when he wrote 600 years before Jesus, because it's so fascinating. But what I wanna do now is I wanna dive a little deeper into this idea of the Messiah. Even though the word wasn't used that much in the Old Testament, the idea is all over the place. So I wanna dive into that. And the idea kind of really took root around the time when King David was king of Israel. David was the, the, the most beloved and revered king of Israel. Israel was at its height in terms of peace and prosperity during David and his son Solomon's reign. Everybody loved David. Everybody loved what was happening. They revered him. And it was during his reign that this idea of this coming ruler, this coming Messiah, took root, and it happened when a prophet by the name of Nathan, Hebrew history, Jewish history tells us this, and we find it in 2 Samuel verse seven, a prophet by the name of Nathan came to King David, and he, he said this massive statement. He said this in 2 Samuel seven verse 12. Speaking to David, Nathan says, when your days are over, when you come to the end of your life and you rest with your ancestors, and he speaks on behalf of God, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And then he talks about Solomon, David's son, but then he kind of steps back and he raises his eyes into the distant future because David lived around 1,000 BC. And then he says this in verse 16, your house and your kingdom, David, will endure forever. This is a big word. It will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The Edmunds Bible Dictionary says this about that prophecy. It says, this promise is known as the Davidic covenant. It was given to David, so the Davidic covenant, or the divine charter, and it is the source of the Jewish expectation of the Messiah, that an anointed one, that's what Messiah means, an anointed one of God from the line of David would always rule God's people. So there was this expectation 
through the good times and the bad times. When David was reigning that, oh my gosh, David's so amazing. One day a king's gonna come and he's gonna rule forever through the good times and then the bad times when the, the, Israel, the, the kings of Israel were killed and dragged off to Babylon. During those times, there was this hope and this expectation that one day a ruler would come that would make things right. So when Rome took over Israel and ruled it with an iron fist, there was this expectation and this hope that one day a Messiah, a ruler in the line of David would come and make things right. People learned the scriptures. They knew this hope and this expectation all the time that this king in the line of David would come and show up and make things right. And this is why... When Matthew, one of the guys who wrote an account of Jesus' life, when he started writing that account, it's so important that he starts this way. In Matthew chapter one, verse one, he said this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. When Matthew wrote that, that meant a whole lot because everybody was going, when is the son of David, the Messiah, the one who will make things right gonna come? And when Matthew said those words, those were big, big words with a lot of weight behind them. So there was this expectation that the Messiah would come and be a king in the line of David. But the prophecies weren't only about him being a king and a ruler. The prophecies also said that it would be this, 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 this person, this one, this ruler, this person would come and he would suffer and die. The prophecies spoke about him ruling, but also suffering and dying. Also spoke about how he would take the sin of the world and about how he, he would reconcile people to God that he would bring healing and hope and help. He would turn ashes into beauty. Those are so many prophecies about who this would be. And, and, and all of this was written long before Jesus was born. So there's many different prophecies and throughout the Hebrew scriptures that talk about this Messiah. And so when Jesus shows up and he starts saying things that only the Messiah should say, and he starts doing things that only the Messiah could do, everybody's like, uh-oh, is it happening? Is this the one? Is it going on? What's going on? Because these people knew the prophecies, and as they knew these things and stuff started happening and Jesus started doing stuff, they're going, oh my word, is it happening? And this buzz started to grow around Jesus wherever he went. I wanna show you some of the responses that people gave to Jesus because they lived in this culture that revered this idea that a Messiah was coming. Here's one of the responses by a guy named Andrew who met Jesus and eventually became one of his disciples, but it says this in John chapter one, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did after he met Jesus, the first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, the other words, we have found the Messiah. I imagine in that culture, this is huge, thousands of years, David, all the stuff, we found the Messiah. And John explains to his Greek, the, the Greek audience reading this, that that's the Christ. The Christ is the same as the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. And verse 42, he says, and he brought Simon to Jesus. It was a big deal. Uh, John said this later as he was writing an account of Jesus. He describes him this way. He says, Jesus performed, John 20 verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's writing to people who know what the Messiah is supposed to be. 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I don't know if you remember the story of when Jesus came into Jerusalem about a week before he was gonna be crucified and the whole crowd went wild. They like put clothes and cloaks on the, on, the, on the road and waved palm branches and they screamed, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, they said this, blessed is the king of Israel. Why did they say that? Because they were waiting for this Messiah that had been written about for centuries and they had that writing in front of them. It wasn't just something that people claimed or people responded to. Jesus actually owned it. He said, yes, I am the Messiah. When Jesus met a woman in Samaria, this is what he said, John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah, and John again explains to his Greek audience, the Christ. I know that Messiah is coming, she says. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am him, I am he, that's me. And so he, he claimed it, he said it, even in the face of death when he was being tried and about to be crucified by people who said, if you claim to be the Messiah, we will kill you. Jesus said, yes, that's me. Man, Mark 14, verse 61, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, Jesus said, <laughs> in the face of death. Yes, I am. And so Jesus claimed this very clearly. His followers claimed it very clearly. The people who killed him said they killed him because he claimed it and because people believed that he was. That's why they killed him. And he claimed to be that Messiah. One last scripture I wanna show you that shows how clearly he claimed this, but then it's so cool because it's this passage of the story where he met these two guys who thought he was gonna be the Messiah and then he died and they gave up hope. But then Jesus kind of connects with them and he shows them that he is that Messiah and he goes through the entire Old Testament showing them how it all points to him. It's such a cool story in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is what happens. Now that same day, it happened the day that he rose again actually. So it's just been talking about him rising from the dead. And that same day, two of them, two of his followers were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they were walking from, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Imagine that moment. I mean, they were there, they loved Jesus, they thought he was the Messiah and then he dies. And all this just falls apart. And so they're talking about all that had happened. Verse 15, as they were talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. So they're just kind of walking and talking and then another dude shows up and it's Jesus and it says, but they were kept from recognizing him. I can't imagine this moment. Why didn't they recognize him? I don't really know, but my guess is they saw him die and dead people can't walk next to you. So they were like, this is horrible, he's dead, there's this dude here. And then Jesus, verse 17, he asks them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? <laughs> they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, and I love this question, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Seriously, dude, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. And Jesus, look what he says, what things? <laughs> <laughs> what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And then look at what they said. He was a prophet. And they kind of downgraded him. 
They had hoped that he would be the Messiah, but he died. Messiah's not supposed to die. So they said, we, we, he's still amazing. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we, and look, they admit what they had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But he died. And then, to make it even more crazy, what's more, they said, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Like, what's up with that? This is crazy. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. <laughs> and imagine Jesus listening to all this. <laughs> this is amazing. And then he says, uh, he couldn't hold himself back any longer. He's like, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe. And, and I love, he doesn't say how slow to believe the miracles. He says something else. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It was written down, guys. You know these things. You've seen them. How, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken and then he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? If you look back at your scriptures, if you look back at the prophecies, if you look back at the, everything that's spoken about the Messiah, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then, this is amazing, beginning with Moses, first five books of the Bible, of the, the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said that to them, that what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus takes these guys and he says, go look, it's all over. All of this is speaking about me and it talks about what I've come to do, what I've done and what I'm doing in your heart. <laughs> what a moment, what, a, what, a, what an event, what a time that these guys would have had. So Jesus, clearly, and all the, the New Testament authors and all the uh, followers of Jesus clearly claimed that he was the Messiah prophesied about throughout the Old Testament Jewish writings. And Jesus didn't just claim that he was that, he actually claimed that he came to fulfill it. So he didn't just say, yep, that's me. He actually did the things that it says that the Messiah would do. Matthew 5, 17 gives us a clue towards that. Jesus says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now the law is all that Moses wrote. And the prophets is, you know, so that describes the Old Testament. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. Jesus claimed that he came to fulfill all that was said in the Old Testament. One writer puts it this way as I was studying this. She said, there are more than 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus Christ. There are prophetic types and shadows all throughout the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. From the tabernacle and the feasts to the offerings and the high priests, all the religious things that happened, she says, all point, and it's clear as you read it, all point to Jesus and we can identify the Messiah, who he was and is and is to come. So over 300 prophecies written in the Old Testament which were fulfilled by what Jesus 
understood as you read Matthew's account of Jesus, you see this sort of fleshed out in front of your eyes as Jesus did certain things every now and then. Matthew goes, and he did that because that fulfilled this prophecy. And he did that because that fulfilled this prophecy. Here's, here's his words as he describes that in Matthew 1 verse 22. He says, all this, he describes what happened. Then he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes the prophet. Matthew 2 verse 5, for this is what the prophet has, was, has written. And then he says what the prophet had written. Matthew 2 15, all over, he does this. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Matthew 2 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And he describes what happened and he describes what the prophet had said. And it's amazing how it's like, oh my gosh, he's doing it. He's fulfilling these things. Could he be? The Messiah that's been talked about for hundreds and thousands of years. He, he tells what happened. He has an example of what he said actually happened in Matthew 2, 23. He says, he went and lived in a town, talking about Jesus, he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. He lived in Nazareth. The prophets had said that he'd be a Nazarene. Oh my gosh, this is happening. And then it got so detailed with some of these prophecies. It's, even, it's crazy if you think about it. Matthew 4 verse 12 says this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun, and Naphtali. Now, I underline those two words, those two places, Zebulun and Naphtali, because that was prophesied. Verse 14, Matthew says, to fulfill, he went there to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, which is a South African version of Isaiah, okay? But we're all wrong because he was Hebrew, though, okay? So it doesn't really matter, okay? But Isaiah, uh, he, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, verse 15, here's what the prophet said. Land of Zebulun, and land of Naphtali. There's those two places. Jesus went there. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And if you go back, because you can, if you go back to the exact prophecy that Matthew was quoting, you can go read it in Isaiah, and you read that in Isaiah 9 verse 6, he describes what that light is. Who would bring that light? And this is what he says. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he was talking, Isaiah was talking about a child who would be born, who would take light to Naphtali and Zebulun. And Jesus did that. And he wrote this, Isaiah wrote this, 700 years before it happened. And Jesus did it. And 300 other things that were prophesied hundreds of years before. Now, I don't know. I'm a bit of a skeptic as I read stuff and think about stuff. Sometimes I wonder, maybe Jesus just knew all of them and he kind of worked it out that he could do all. Is that possible? And then you realize that there were so many things that Jesus did and that happened around his birth and life and death that there's no way he could have orchestrated any. Of it. One example is what happened when he was being crucified. I mean, when you're being crucified, you're not in control, right? Like being killed. John 19, 23 says this. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. 
With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And this is what they said. Let's not tear it. They said, Jesus didn't do this. These soldiers killing him did. They said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. And look what John says. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Look what John says. He emphasizes. So this is what the soldiers did. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers who did not believe in any of this. And they fulfilled something that was written 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified. <laughs> what? It's crazy. And that's why people started going, is this, is this him? Is this the one? Look at all these prophecies, over 300 things that were written down hundreds of years before, and Jesus fulfilled them. Now, one quick thing to note here is that even non-Christian scholars who don't believe in the content of the Old Testament, who don't believe in that Jesus is the Messiah, even uh, non-Christian scholars who don't believe in the miraculous prophecy, that can't happen. We don't believe that. And sometimes they explain away miraculous prophecy by saying some of the stuff was written after it happened, like in the Old Testament, when, when things were prophesied and they happened in the Old Testament. They say that these people wrote after the event and pretended like they wrote before the event so that it would look like prophecy and people would go, ooh, ah. That, that, that's what they feel like they did. And, and I understand that because it's hard to understand how do you prophesy things. But even non-Christian scholars who don't believe in prophecy cannot and don't deny that the entire Old Testament was written hundreds of years before Jesus. And the reason we know that is because the entire Old Testament was translated from the Hebrew into Greek in the third century BC. It's known as the Septuagint. And it, the, the entire thing was, existed and was so um, robust and so accepted by that time that it was translated into Greek hundreds of years before Jesus. So all of these prophecies are accepted that they are written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. All that to say, <laughs> it's crazy. There were so many things written about this coming Messiah and Jesus came to fulfill all of them as that Messiah. So as we head towards Christmas this year and as Christmas is coming, we wanted to take a moment and, and dive into the hearts and minds of people who lived before the Messiah came and said the Messiah is coming, to see what they said, what they described, because I think it'll give us an understanding and expand our understanding of who Jesus as the Messiah is and what he came to do. And then, man, when I read these things that were written back then, I'm like, wow, that's just incredible. So that's where we're headed for the next few weeks. To end today, I wanna to come back to that Daniel chapter, that Daniel verse that talks about this coming Messiah using that title, not just the general sense of an anointed one, a king or a priest, but uses the title, the anointed one, the Messiah, about this coming ruler who would change everything. So I wanna go look at it, Daniel wrote, Daniel lived in the sixth century BC and, and he, he's a central figure. He lived in Jerusalem and was taken by the Babylonians and went and lived there and, and, and through it all, he prayed and thought like, what is this gonna be? And he wrote down like in a journal, some of the things that, that he felt God had said to him. 
And as he was writing all this stuff, it was recorded. Some, some non-Christian scholars believe that this was written way later um, because how could Daniel prophesy some of these things? But he lived around 600 BC, and it doesn't really matter when he lived. If it was written before Christ, it's uncanny to see what he wrote. And, and, and here's what I want you to look out for. Because what he wrote, and this is so crazy as I read this again, what he wrote literally lines up with the central message of Christianity. Literally lines up with the central message of the gospel that Jesus came, that that we have a sin problem and that we can't fix our sin problem. He's writing this in the Old Testament, 600 BC, that we have a sin problem, we can't fix it, we need help, and that one is coming who will die to give us his righteousness. He wrote that. Hundreds of years before Jesus, I want to read a New Testament verse that describes that uh, and just as a kind of setup as we're going into Daniel. 1 John 2 verse 1 says this, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He died for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So with that in mind, let's read what Daniel said. Daniel chapter 9 verse 20, he says this, while... I was speaking, he's kind of journaling, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. He brings up this idea of the sin problem that we as as humans have. Confessing my sin and the sin of my people and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Now, I don't know if what happened and and it may be hard, like who's Gabriel, how does that work? Doesn't really matter. What matters is this is written down hundreds of years before Jesus because look what he said. Verse 24, this is what Gabriel said. I'm giving you insight and understanding. 77s, and he, he kind of uses poetic language to speak about a season of time, a timeline, a, 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 a period of time, and he says 77. Scholars are all over the place, like, what does that mean? And try to study all that stuff. The point today is just there's a period of time, and it's said in a poetic way. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. And then he says this, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness and to bring everlasting righteousness. So what, what, what he's writing here and what he's hearing here is this, that there is going to be a period of time, a length of time before something happens that will put an end to sin, that will atone for wickedness and that will bring righteousness and make righteousness available to you. Verse 25, he says this, know and understand this, And this is where we see that title, Messiah, the anointed one. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. That's that title, the Messiah. Until the Messiah, until the anointed one. The ruler comes from the time that this happens until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be, and he he gives another description of this time period. There will be this time period. Verse 26 says, after 62 sevens, after this time period, the anointed one, listen to this, will be put to death and will have nothing. So that's a whole bunch of poetic and prophetic language. Here's what I think he's saying. This is what Daniel wrote down hundreds of years before Jesus even came. The way that we're going to overcome sin, 
the way that righteousness will be made available. And not just temporary righteousness, you know, I can do the right thing here and there, and you can do the right thing here and there. No, this is everlasting, the word he uses, everlasting righteousness, the kind of righteousness that, that takes unholy, sinful people and makes us able to connect with a perfect, righteous, holy God. He says, the way that sin will be overcome, the way that everlasting righteousness will be made available. Is, and this is said through an Old Testament prophet, the way that that's gonna happen is when the anointed one, the Messiah, is put to death and loses everything. That's the way sin will be overcome and righteousness will be made available. That's how we can overcome the power of sin. And this is what Daniel said hundreds of years before Jesus came. It's exactly the message of Jesus. It's exactly the message of the gospel that Jesus came to die for our sins, the sins of the world, to lose everything. He, it says he will, be, he will die and he will have nothing, that Jesus chose to come, die, lose everything, have nothing so that we can have everything, to lose everything, to die as an unrighteous, sinful person on a cross so that he could offer us his righteousness. <laughs> and Daniel says that. 600 years before Jesus came. He explains that we have a sin problem, that we can't fix that sin problem, but that a Messiah would come and be put to death and lose everything on our behalf so that we could gain everything because of what he has done. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of Christianity. And it's not just something that came up, Jesus made this thing up. No, it's been the plan all along. It's a major theme throughout the whole Old Testament that a Messiah will come, will take on the sins of the world, will die and offer us his righteousness. And that prophecy made 600 years before Jesus came found its fulfillment in Jesus. <laughs> and this is why Christmas is so important because they looked from the past and said, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And then Jesus was born on Christmas, born to come and deal with the problem we can't deal with die, lose everything on our behalf to give us an everlasting righteousness and to take care of the power of sin. The Messiah has come. And that's what Jesus did. It's incredible. So that's what we're gonna be doing over the next few weeks. That's an incredible prophecy that was made 600 years before Jesus. We're gonna look at several others and dive deep into what they say pre-Jesus, before Christ. What they say about him and see what we can learn from that and see what the Messiah came to do as we prepare our hearts for Christmas this year. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for Daniel, for Isaiah, for Jeremiah, for all these people, Ezekiel, all these people who wrote things down in their lives. Thank you for speaking to them when they had no clue what that really would mean. And then Jesus, thank you for coming. 
God, thank you for loving the world so much that you sent your only son to live and die for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for offering us your righteousness, for losing it on the cross and offering it to us. We're so grateful. Thank you for the Messiah. Thank you for the one who was to come and thank you for the one who came and fulfilled all of those prophecies. And God, thank you that we can know him because of what happened on Christmas and because of what he came to do. We're so, so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.